You're listening to Superflexology, a Superflex-focused fantasy football podcast with your hosts, Sean Bauer and Mitch Sorensen. Welcome back to the Superflexology Fantasy Football Show, a proud member of the Full-Time Fantasy Network. Thank you for joining us for episode 33. I'm your host, John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter, at The Bauer Club. And of course, I am joined by Mitch Sorensen, and that's at DinoMC on Twitter. What's going on, Mitch? Hey, what's going on, guys? How is everything going? I know you're preparing for the move. I know you had a lot of packing this weekend. Just packing and then packing and then a little bit more packing after that. (laughs) Sounds like a blast. I think my weekend might have been a little more enjoyable, but it sounds like anybody's weekend would have been more enjoyable than that. And we are also joined by Dan LaMagna. That's at LC underscore Dean on Twitter. What's going on, Dan? Ready to talk some football, my friends. And you're all geared up because your favorite football subject is being discussed tonight, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. I don't want to spoil the episode, so we'll we'll hold off a few minutes because we have another team we want to discuss first. But before we get there, we've been talking about the last few weeks. We are doing the Tyler Boyd jersey giveaway, an autographed Tyler Boyd jersey. All you have to do, leave a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, however you listen to the show. Send us a screenshot on Twitter or Instagram at Superflexology. It's as simple as that. So looking at tonight's show, and Mitch, you and I, we had a few of these shows last offseason. This might be my favorite type of episode, in all honesty. All it is is pure speculation. It's looking at what we're expecting with the coaching changes. All we're doing is projecting. So last year, like I said, we spent a lot of time discussing head coach and offensive coordinator changes throughout the NFL. We're constantly trying to make educated guesses when looking at these teams and how they're going to be impacted with these coaching changes. And you guys know that sometimes as a community, we get it right. You look at Bruce Arians and the narrative with how he used tight ends in the past, and that came to fruition here in 2019 with O.J. Howard. But sometimes we miss completely. You guys know very well throughout the whole offseason with Detroit, the Lions, they were going to only run the ball. They were going to pass it very sparingly, and we didn't see that. So again, we look at head coach and offensive coordinator changes, and constantly we're trying to make educated guesses, and we're trying to project what the outlook is from a short and long-term perspective. As we talk about Dynasty, you know, the short and long-term perspective, it's very important because the values are always changing. So tonight, we want to spend time on two teams that have a ton of fantasy-relevant assets, especially from a Dynasty perspective, a lot of young players, and there's even more questions Mark. So let's try to make some sense of it. First up, Dan, I know you're getting anxious for your Dallas Cowboys, but first up, I want to hit on the Car- <laughs> I want to hit on the Carolina Panthers. Somewhat new ownership. David Tepper bought the team in 2018. Matt Herney, the general manager, he was with the team for a long stretch, left, came back. A brand new head coach, Matt Roll, seven years, $60 million. A brief stint in 2012 as an assistant offensive line coach for the Giants, head coach at Temple. Most recently, the head coach at Baylor had a lot of success. Dan, let's start with you. What are your thoughts overall? Maybe not necessarily if you think this is a good hire from an actual football perspective, but overall, what is your just overall expectation here heading into 2020 with this hiring? I think the Panthers are going in the right direction. Uh, You know, as you tasked us tonight, JB, with Panthers and Cowboys, it turned out to be a fun project. I was amazed at how similar I thought the two organizations were. Very young nucleus for each of them, which I think is very appealing for Dynasty. And when you look at the Panthers, and and, you know, you guys hear me complain about dysfunctional organizations a lot. To me, when I'm looking at Dynasty football players and trying to project the direction they're going in, or if you're comparing one player to the next that might be similar, I'm looking at 
at the organization? What is the long-term forecast? You know, you might have, you know, a good head coach, but the owner's not giving that head coach what he needs to win. Or you might have some good ownership, but they don't get that head coach right. And I think here in Carolina, David Tepper, who's, you know, this billionaire businessman, greatest of our generation by Forbes as a hedge fund manager, all right? He knows how to run a business. And he's got previous experience with your Steelers, JB, you know, previous 5% ownership there. Dan, I'm waiting for you to provide a social security number with all this background information. (laughs) I was digging, man. Deep dive here, you know? (laughs) I like it. I like it. (laughs) The the Panthers, you know, he's really focusing and he is saying the same things that Matt Rule is process and a standard of excellence. They're speaking the same language. And when we look at the Patriots have been successful for such a long period of time, it's because everybody's on the same page and they give that head coach control and they're not interfering. And I think Tepper's got that. You know, he's got a GM and Matt Herney who's got a plethora of experience there. He's the one that replaced uh, Gettleman there in Carolina. Uh, used to be under Bobby Bethard way back when. So there's great football pedigree. He knows the organization real well, being with the Panthers from 2002 to 12. And then, you know, returning again, I think Tepper called him the best recognizer of college talent per Tepper. Drafted Cam Newton, Luke Keekly, Thomas Davis. So they've got something really good there. And then they bring in Matt Rule for seven years, 60 million. And I know that, you know, they're saying that rubs some owners the wrong way. But when Caroline is worth $2.3 billion, if you're looking at your long-term future, that's probably a good investment to hire a head coach that's very well respected and aligned with your philosophy. So they've got a process here. They're putting the pieces in place. You know, Matt Rule, he was a I mean, extensive collegiate career from 98 to 2011, and then went into the NFL with the Giants. They say the fastest way to be a head coach is to be an O-line coach. They got great experience there. Temple, Baylor, you know, had a process and was successful everywhere he went. And I I think that's going to continue. I think the wild card and probably what most intrigues us is their new offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. Coached at William & Mary for two years, was a grad assistant at Penn State, brief two-year stint with the Saints, and then a passing game coordinator at LSU. I mean, you want to talk about a fast riser? He's soaring with, you know, one magical season from Joe Burrow. So I know Mitch and I were talking a little bit earlier. He was kind of prepping me for what I'm about to get tonight with his Cowboys takes. But we both agreed, you know, that he's kind of the, the big question mark and Carolina could probably use a veteran head coach somewhere there or maybe even a veteran signal caller at quarterback. I like how you say that the contract that Matt Roll that he got the 70 or 60 million that rubbed other owners the wrong way and I think it's because we look at that contract for an unproven unproven from the standpoint of the NFL and then you have these veteran coaches saying well this guy's getting 70 or 60 million it's time for you to pay up whenever my contract's up so I like how you kind of throw that in there and I think that's the reason why these other owners at them the wrong way, but you talked about Joe Brady. You talked about maybe he was propelled into the situation strictly because of what we saw from Joe Burrow in 2019. The record-setting year, 60 passing touchdowns, only six interceptions, 5,600 passing yards, 76% completion percentage. So you're looking at that, and it was a huge improvement from 2018 to 2019, right, with Joe Burrow. And Joe Brady was a new piece as the passing game coordinator. So do we point to Joe Burrow's success because of Brady, or is it, you know, maybe vice versa? There are going to be there's going to be a lot of speculation throughout this offseason. This is one of the coaching situations with all the talent around them and all the dynasty assets that we're going to talk about tonight. We really don't know what to expect from a game plan perspective. So, Mitch, over to you. Let's talk about the quarterback situation first, because I th- you said that you think we're going to disagree on this one. I think so. I One of the main things you have to dive into with the Panthers is 
they're in a really not good cap situation right now. So if you look at overthecap.com, it says they have about 25 million going into next year, which is in the lower half of the league. But with them having the seventh pick in the draft and all of their draft picks, their rookie pool is going to eat up about 10 million of that. So in a couple of weeks, they're only going to have about 15 million to work with. And even if Olsen retires and Keekley already retired. And if they cut Mike Davis, that's only going to give them an extra 10 million. And so I think they're going to have to cut Cam. Cut or trade, preferably trade, you know, so they get some assets back. But I think Cam's going to have to be traded because the defense is going to have huge holes without having Keekley there. They don't have a backup running back at all. Their offensive line is really bad. And the only way they're going to be able to fix that is by having Cam on a different team and them signing somebody else at a lesser price. Are you thinking they, I mean, I would think it'd be very difficult to trade Cam Newton with that contract unless they eat a portion of the salary. So I think he's right around 20, 21 million for 2020. And if they keep him, obviously they take on that whole contract. If they cut him or trade him, it's $2 million in dead cap. But I think it's going to be very difficult for a team for you to acquire assets just based on what we've seen from Cam Newton recently, obviously with the injury history. So you think it's more of a viable option that they cut Cam Newton. Maybe they bring in a Case Keenum or somebody like that. Yeah, with Matt Rule getting that seven-year deal, he knows he's going to be okay for the first couple of years. I actually think they could end up drafting someone. There's a good chance as to where they jump Miami. Maybe they trade with someone like Detroit and get Tua, or maybe they just stay there and end up getting Herbert or whoever else they like at that position. But I think them going with a rookie is pretty plausible at this point. So one interesting thing that I saw in Matt Rule, and it was a an article that I read and it said that he had the RPO heavy offense in Baylor and he didn't have a ton of success developing quarterbacks like the other candidates that were up for this Carolina Panthers job. My mindset was maybe it benefits him to go into this season with a veteran quarterback, whether it's Cam Newton or maybe they bring in another free agent. We know there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. We think Andy Dalton's going to be cut. Derek Carr potentially could get cut for cap reasons. But from my perspective, I do think it makes sense for him to have a veteran quarterback. And you're coming in, no NFL experience as a head coach, minimal experience from your offensive coordinator. And now you want to throw in possibly Herbert or even a Tua who might need some extra time because of the injury. I don't know. For me, I think it makes more sense for a veteran quarterback, but you you think they still could go the route of drafting a quarterback and maybe even moving up to get to a... I think so. I They could easily... Sorry, just real quick, Dan. I was just going to say they could follow what Arizona did last year. You know, they brought in Kingsbury. Kingsbury got his quarterback in Kyler Murray, and they didn't even care who was on the team. They traded, they traded Rosen after they got Murray, right? They traded him during the actual draft, yeah. But Cliff Kingsbury, he's in, he's had, obviously, the he was scrutinized for the lack of success at the college level from a winning perspective, but he was able to develop quarterbacks, and he had quarterbacks, whereas we look at Matt Roll, and he really didn't develop anybody at Baylor. I think you guys are both right here. And, you know, you compare to Arizona. I'm still trying to figure out if Arizona knows what they're doing as they started all over. Carolina keeps talking about wanting to do this the right way. And, you know, when are they going to be at number seven again in the upcoming years? So that is prime real estate to get a quarterback if you're ever going to get one. But why not a stop gap guy like Andy Dalton to keep him competitive for a year or a Ryan Fitzpatrick or somebody that could just buy a little time until either a two or a Herbert's ready kind of go from there. Now, they're still evaluating. Matt Rule said he did speak to Cam right away. So they did have a conversation. I don't think they're ruling that out. You know, that they eat his salary 
one more year, kind of see what he could do, and they're safe either way. But I can see a stopgap until one of these rookies is ready. It's going to be interesting, and that's for sure. Obviously, the injury concerns. When Cam Newton was healthy and he was able to utilize his his legs, he was a very effective quarterback, both from an actual NFL and a fantasy perspective. But now that the legs are potentially gone, we don't know what to expect. And there's one year left on the deal. So despite Mitch talking about the cap concerns, which is a big concern, it really is. But if they choose to keep him for 2020, it's one year. And if they have the cap space to make their uh, sign their draft picks and maybe bring in a few other free agents, especially from the defensive side of the ball, because they were horrendous. They gave up the second most points in the NFL last year. And now you have to replace Luke Keekley. But it's going to be very interesting because everything trickles down from that quarterback position. So before we move on to the skill players, let's just talk about Cam Newton very quickly from a quick rapid fire perspective. And you guys know. I love my rapid fire. So Cam Newton, he's turning 31 in May, multiple shoulder injuries, surgeries, knee issues, concussions, back fracture, rib fracture, multiple ankle issues. So there's a laundry list of injuries. We're looking at the quarterbacks going around him in current startups. So Dan, we're going to start with you. Would you rather have Cam Newton or Matt Stafford? Matt Stafford. Ryan Tannehill. Draw. (laughs) I'll go with Tannehill. At least there's job security. Well, he hasn't signed that contract extension yet either, but I think we're expecting that. Drew Locke. Drew Locke. All right, Mitch, same three. Stafford, Tannehill, Locke. Same as Dan. I agree with him. The only guy Cam Newton's definitely better than is Kyle Allen. I'm happy to mention Kyle Allen because he's terrible. So (laughs) a healthy Cam is better than Kyle, at least for one year. Yeah, he was. He had a great start, but man, he really fizzled off. I'm going to take all three over Cam Newton. I did take Cam Newton in a startup draft recently, but it's I, he slipped like quarterback 23 or 24. I'm still going to take him over the Rivers, Breeze, Roethlisberger type players because I do think Cam has the upside, but there's also the possibility maybe he pulls an Andrew Luck and he just says, you know what? I don't need this anymore. It's not getting any better from an injury perspective. So like I said, we will see. There's a lot of speculation what they will do. We kind of talked on all the scenarios. They stay at seven. They draft a quarterback. They move up. Obviously, to get two, I think, would be the the situation there. They keep Cam or they have a stopgap veteran like an Andy Dalton come in for a year while their rookie quarterback learns the ropes a little bit. So a lot going on there, a lot to digest, and we'll see what they do here this offseason. It's going to be a very interesting offseason, not just from a Panthers perspective, but league-wide. A lot of moving pieces, a lot of changing parts. So we'll see how it goes. Looking at the skill position players, and we might as well just start off hot and heavy here. One of the most sought-after dynasty players out there right now, Christian McCaffrey. Dan, let's start with you. Do you think this head coaching hire in Matt role and the hiring of Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator, is there any possible way that you're moving him down your draft board, especially you? Because I know you're a very running back heavy drafter in startups. CMC was my guy going into this season and to, you know, thousand thousand on such a terrible offense as far as quarterback play. I think he's cemented here at 23 years old, playing for a contract. Guy's just a stud, and I think Believe it or not, there's still more opportunity out there with good quarterback play. As I watch some of those games, he'd be wide open in the flats, and Kyle Allen would just ignore him. Like, he could have even had more catches. My only question is, you know, what have past performers done after being in that 1,000-thousand club? I mean, that's there has to be regression somewhere, but even if he regresses, he's still going to probably be a top three leading scorer. I thought about that. So you look at what he did this past season. Let's say it's not sustainable, but... Even if he goes back to what he did two years ago, which is a pretty big drop off, he was still 
running back three from a PPR perspective. So let's say that's his floor and he had less than half the touchdowns he had here in 2019. I don't see a, a way, even with the question marks at quarterback and the coaching staff coming in, I don't see a way that you knock him down. He's my running back one. There's no question about that for me. From a productivity standpoint and a clean bill of health. He really has had no injuries to talk about. We look at Superflex two quarterback. If it's a 14 team league, it gets a little interesting because then do you take Lamar? Do you take Mahomes? Any way you look at it, he's without a doubt a top three Superflex or two quarterback startup asset for me. We've talked about it previously on the show. Is there the potential for a holdout coming up? I don't know. You know, I don't, he doesn't strike me as that type of player. I don't know him personally. I don't hang out with him on weekends. So I really, you know, I, I don't know for sure. But and if, I did hang out, if I did hang out with him on weekends, you all would know about it. I'm happy to say that, though, because one thing that gives me extra confidence in McCaffrey is his character. Like you, I don't know him personally, but we follow these guys' careers and we read all the beat writers' posts on Twitter and have a kind of good gauge. You know, as we talk about Dallas and Carolina, you know, I think Zeke's in a similar class, and we'll get more into Zeke later. There's little character things with Zeke that's worried us in past drafts. There is zero character issues with McCaffrey. I think the guy's got work ethic. He's got great family pedigree. He's in remarkable shape all the time. Like, I, I don't see him settling for anything less than greatness. Okay, I got a question real quick. So, <laughs> Let's hear it, Mitch. You both were against ETN going back to school, right? Um, I, I know you was, were, John. Yeah, 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 from a money perspective, yeah. So I'm very interested to see where you're going with this, but let's hear it. Dan? I concur. I think, you know, he was in prime position to be a you know, higher draft pick. So, I, uh, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> where are you going with it, Mitch? Okay, so Christian McCaffrey's earned like $3 million so far. Right. And as we've just seen with what's going on with Derrick Henry right now, Derrick Henry finished making about $4.5 million on, on his rookie deal. He didn't hold out. He did what he was supposed to. And the majority of people are saying that the Titans shouldn't resign him because of the amount of touches that he's had. Right. If you add two more years on to CMC's workload, he's going to top everything that Derrick Henry has done and even more. It's Derrick, also a much different running style, though. It, but he's still getting hit. He's still getting that many touches. CMC is going to hold out this year. This fourth-year contract, Zeke did it, and all that needed to happen was for one person to do it. CMC is going to hold out this year. There's no doubt in my mind. It's certainly a possibility. Like we said on previous shows, we talked about with Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, you know, this class of players we're going to talk about with Saquon Barkley probably next year. It's certainly a possibility. But are you going to knock him from a startup perspective? I might. Oh, come I won't on. knock him down the tier, but I probably wouldn't draft him because we play a lot of 14 team leagues. This is me kind of hedging my bet a little bit, right. but I would just go Mahomes or Lamar over him. But I'm not I'm not going to knock him down any because of it. Because so it is just look, two or looking, three games this season. Right. Looking at the running back perspective, you're still having him as running back one right now. I'll, I'd still take Barkley over Chris McCaffrey. But okay, it's 1A and 1B. You know, he, it's what takes me back to David Tepper, though. Here's this billionaire businessman. He's going to get it done, I think, like some others other owners would not as we break down owner GM I don't think he's gonna open any window to let Christian McCaffrey hold out and that's gonna him in a much more confident in the Carolina organization than I am the Giants Mitch that that I can't put Barkley ahead of McCaffrey at this point 
And it's interesting. And Dan, I love the perspective that you bring to the show because as a former part owner of a minor league football team, you really gear towards that side where Mitch and I, I mean, me personally, I don't really look at it from that perspective. So I like that you're bringing that vantage point to the show. And it's interesting to me because you have a brand new coach, no NFL experience. And you would think that ownership and the general manager and the head coach, you all want to get on the same page. Ideally, we see oftentimes that's not the case. But if you have a brand new head coach coming in and there's even the possibility of a holdout looming for your star player, I would think everybody would want to make sure that gets done, just like you said, Dan. And Mitch, you mentioned maybe it's two or three games he holds out and they figure things out. But I think this contract's going to get done. We saw how valuable, and I know everybody says running backs don't matter, and the draft capital and it, we can go back and forth on this especially you know you look at Twitter and that's a, it's a dumpster fire right now that's all it is <laughs> that seems to be a common theme with Twitter but you know I, I I do think they get a deal done but again it's another situation that's gonna be very interesting to look at I'm not knocking him down at all a lot of interesting to, things to look at here throughout this offseason Let, let's start on the pass catchers now even though Kyle Allen was at the helm most of 2019 Will Greer stepped in at the end we talk about dumpster fires that was a dumpster fire so looking at the pass catchers here really young core in dj moore and curtis samuel mitch what are your thoughts on them dj moore first Dan was actually a lot higher than me on D- DJ Moore coming in this year. I was one of the guys that was saying, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, it doesn't matter. Just get the cheaper one in Samuel because they're going to perform the same. I said the same but, thing. Yeah, I was wrong. I was completely wrong. I now have DJ Moore as a top five wide receiver. I think it's the top four in Hill, Adams, Michael Thomas, and DeAndre Hopkins. And I think at the top of the list next is DJ Moore. He's younger than Juju. He's younger than Godwin. He, like you said, he put up that awesome season with Kyle Allen as his quarterback. I have nothing bad to say about the guy. I think he's just really, really good. And we talk about contract situations. He's not an unrestricted free agent until 2023. So we have time. And you know, wide receivers, it seems like they're able to get the contract done a little bit easier at this point in time than running backs. I'm going to give you the quick rapid fire here on DJ Moore, and you kind of answered it already. Are you going to take him over Juju, Odell Beckham Jr., Amari Cooper, and A.J. Brown? Yep, over all of them. That makes it very easy. Dan, before we kind of get into some more analysis here on DJ Moore, what are your thoughts there? Looking at him against those four players, are you also comfortable taking him over them? Give me those names one more time. Juju, Odell Beckham, Amari, uh, I think we already know the answer there. And then A.J. Brown. Three out of four is not bad, guys. I'll take him over everybody except my boy Amari Cooper. Okay. And we kind of figured that was going to be the case. But, you know, we you look set at me up. up. You set me up. I know. I know. You, <laughs> you set you up for failure. So we look at DJ Moore, and we've talked about this previous in the show, yards per route run. That seems to be a somewhat sticky statistic for wide receivers year over year. 17th in the NFL. And I don't have the numbers here, but you see a lot of people talking about age-adjusted metrics. And DJ Moore is always at the top of the charts. What he has done so far in his career, especially at his age, has been nothing short of outstanding. Only ran routes on 84% of passing plays in 2019. That ranked 32nd among wide receivers. So there is potential for him to have an expanded role here in 2020. Sixth in contested catch rate, 56%, even with horrible throws. And one might say maybe he should create more separation, but still sixth in contested catch rate, 73% catchable target rate. To give you a little bit of a comparison there, that ranked 70. 
fourth. So yeah, 73 sounds good, 73%. It's not good. You want a higher catchable target rate. And then you talk about players like Michael Thomas, obviously, that that number jumps up a lot. Limited red zone opportunities. One thing I knocked him for heading into 2019 was the fact that, and Mitch, I know you hate when I say this about a wide receiver. I thought he was very target dependent, but even, you know, despite looking at the low touchdown upside and the red zone opportunities, he's still an absolute stud. You look at regression numbers based on yards and what we should have expected. He finished 3.3 touchdowns under the expectation. So we're talking about positive regression here in 2020. Somewhat limited number of routes run, the yards per route run, 17th, the limited red zone opportunities, the regression, the positive regression, no contract issues here, the foreseeable future. I agree with Mitch. I'm going to have him over Juju, Odell Beckham, Amari, and A.J. Brown at this point. And wide receiver five, maybe wide receiver six in that range. I'm completely okay with it. We saw what DJ Moore did with horrid quarterback play. And I'm not saying, you know, it's the exact same situation, but we saw with Juju Smith-Schuster as well. And well, we know that didn't go the same way. So Dan, what are your thoughts here overall on DJ Moore? Obviously you like the kid a lot. You had him over everybody except Amari Cooper. Do you see this situation having any real impact on his dynasty value? And when I say situation, I mean the incoming coaches. I think it's going to trend up for Moore and Samuel. And, you know, maybe not in 2020 they're going to be like Godwin Evans, but I think they're both working in that direction. Ages 22 and 23, these guys have dynasty by all over them. Part of the reason I was a little higher on DJ Moore this preseason is I just kind of have a little bit of insight and some contacts at Maryland there. The, the head coach at Lackawanna College where I work, Mark Dude, is a former Maryland alumni and he's a former NFL player. And there's a friend of mine, Charlie Wysocki, and this, you know, maybe a, a future story or conversation for us over a beverage. But these guys, they love DJ Moore at Maryland. So I've just been hearing about DJ Moore through, throughout his college years and was a bit higher. But as we go into this year, you know, I, I think Moore's probably being drafted where he should be. So, you know, you may or may not get him where last year you could sneak him on, on some team. But I think Curtis Samuel becomes more of the buy here this year, JB. You know, was able to get him into, in a 14-league draft that we were just participating in, and I was thrilled to get him. And a couple people messaged me right after I took him. And then before our podcast tonight, I tried to trade him for him in three of our leagues, and I, I unfortunately couldn't get him in those leagues, doing a little test study there. But pro football focus, DJ Moore is ranked 19th, and Samuel is currently ranked 116, 116 based on last year, even though they project him for a breakout next year. I think with real quarterback play you're gonna see Samuel's numbers spike and you know the vision that you two guys had going into this season I think it's just gonna be one year later you're gonna see those numbers start to spike and he had the opportunity here at 19 12th highest targeted air yards throughout the league when you look at the wide receivers it's just they weren't catchable balls John no that was it exactly exactly And Curtis Samuel, 31% of his team's air yards. That was 18th highest. Unfortunately, if he gets the same usage, but again, you look at the quality of targets, red zone regression, he had six touchdowns, expected value of 3.4. So he should regress negatively a little bit. Six touchdowns on 614 receiving yards. That's pretty high. But again, we expect the receiving yards to go up. We expect the quality of targets to go up. So maybe the touchdowns, they can stay a little flat there. Mitch, last year, you and I, we were, like you said, Curtis Samuel's the better value, but you're willing to pay up for DJ more now. Do you still think Curtis Samuel is a good value going at his current ADP? The only reason why I'm not too high on him right now is because if Cam Newton does come back, 
He's an extremely inaccurate deep thrower. The biggest reason why I wasn't too high on DJ Moore coming into this year was because of Cam Newton. I think DJ Moore is so good now he could get open when he needs to for Cam Newton and still catch the ball. But with them and Curtis Samuel, if he runs, you know, the same routes they did last year, I know it's going to be a new offense and stuff. But if they run him the same way and he's just going deep each time, I'm afraid it's just going to be a repeat of what it was last year. I'm glad that you brought up Cam Newton and kind of his aggressiveness and willingness and accuracy downfield. 2017, 8.2 intended air yards per attempt. In 2018, that dropped to 7.1, which was actually really low when you look at it compared to other quarterbacks in the NFL. How much I is like that bo- health related, though, John? Exactly, yes. But if he does come back here in 2020, do we think he's magically going to be healed? We all hope he would be, but maybe this is a situation where an Andy Dalton coming in as a bridge quarterback might be best for this offense. But again, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. I like both of these wide receivers here in 2020. I think we saw them in their worst case scenario with Kyle Allen and Will Greer for the majority of 2019. That defense If they don't improve, it's one of the reasons that I love the Atlanta Falcons from an offensive perspective. That defense is bad. 62% pass to run ratio. It's one of the highest in the NFL. And that offensive line, they actually weren't that terrible this year. 4.3 adjusted line yards in terms of rushing that 17th, ranked 15th and second level yards. NFL average in terms of adjusted sack rate. So they did provide protection for the quarterback, at least at an average rate here compared to the rest of the NFL. Any other thoughts here? Um, Actually, oh my goodness, I'm very upset with myself. How could I forget my Can't boy? Can't believe you're going to forget I- him. Um, I'm going to send him a letter. I'm going to apologize. Ian Thomas, guys. Bye, bye, bye. That's uh, and I'm not referring to sync. That's all I can think about whenever I think, you know, think about Ian Thomas here. I screamed it last offseason. Unfortunately, Greg Olson, he came back. I can't see Greg Olson coming back here for 2020. Ian Thomas, you can still have him in that tight end 20 range. And I'm okay paying that price. What are your thoughts, guys? What do you think? I'd say the you know the tight end and the wide receiver three position for Carolina is a little bit up in the air. You know the tight end pending Greg Olson's retirement, wide receiver three Jarius Wright is a North Turner holdover was probably going to be a cap casualty. You know I don't know if they could if they get quarterback play right could a number three receiver sneak in. Another situation that's just very eerily similar to Dallas. It's almost like these two offenses are constructed the same. You know you have like Dak and Cam, you have CMC and Zeke. Each team's got a one-two punch at receiver. Each team's got an old grizzled vet tight end who everyone's yep. waiting for. For a tire with a young tight end on the rise and Ian Thomas has flashed so if, if Greg Olson could retire then Ian's got a lot of catches and we'll get more yards after the catch than a Greg Olson was would so he's definitely enticing it's just a matter of when could you get him in the draft and does Greg Olson retire I was just going to say, I think the only way to get him is in startups because everyone that already has Ian Thomas on their team isn't going to trade Ian Thomas at this point unless you vastly overpay for him and I think I did overpay for him. So in our Super Flexology Listener League, is that one two PPR for tight ends? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And as the season progressed, because obviously I built a contender, that's what I do here in Dynasty. <laughs> but I, I moved my late 2022nd 14-team league. So I think it ended up being the 25th or 26th overall pick. I moved that straight up for Ian Thomas, which on paper, it looks like an overpay and it might have been. But that's what I believe Ian Thomas to grow into. He's a great value right now. He's actually older than I thought. He's going to be entering his, his age 25 season. But like you said, Dan, he's flashed. And I've been screwed 
screaming about Ian Thomas since before 2019. And still, we have a window here to get him. Like Mitch said, most likely has to be in startups because the Ian Thomas, whoever they whoever has him, they're a truther. And they've been stashing him most likely. But once Greg Olson announces his retirement, I think we see him jump into that tight end 14 or 15 range in startups. So looking at Ian Thomas, Dan, are you going to take him over Jared Cook in a startup? Yes. Jonu Smith? No. Chris Herndon? Yes. Dawson Knox? No. Oh, okay. Mitch, here's, what about here's, you? Here's, hold on. Before, before you segue, just part of the challenge for me, JB, is I'm not so confident Greg Olson is going to retire. So it's a matter of how patient you're going to be. Like, I, I see, you know, Dawson Knox is going to, he is going to be the starter, I think, this year. You know, Herndon's got some off the field Dawson baggage. Knox was also the starter in 2019, though. I just think he's on the rise. Where again, in Dallas and Carolina, when you have a Greg Olson and Jason Witten, they're big locker room guys. The players love them. The coaches love them. The fan bases love them. So if they're healthy, ownership doesn't want them to go. And I'm not sure how old Greg Olson is compared to Witten. He, he might be a couple years younger even. I think Greg so- Olson's about 62 years old. I'm a little bit more nervous. If he's healthy, he might want to play again, guys. And then you're going to be frustrated waiting for Ian Thomas another year. I'll wait one more year for him. But no, that is a really good point because as dynasty owners, we know how impatient we can get, especially if you're somebody like me who wants to try to build a a roster that's capable of contending this year. And it it really is tough to sit on these players year after year. But I do expect Greg Olson. Hopefully he hits that broadcasting booth and he gets out of our hair here. I have no issue with Greg Olson as a person, but I want him to free up my Ian Thomas shares. Mitch, Jared Cook. Thomas. Jonu Smith. Smith. Chris Herndon. Thomas. Dawson Knox. Thomas. I will take Ian Thomas over all of them, but I actually have a coin flip here with Joe New Smith and Ian Thomas. As we go through these shows and I look at these rapid fires, I think, did I take this player over player X in a startup that we did? And one of ours, I actually took Joe New Smith over Ian Thomas, but I'm going to chalk that up to the fact that I have a million Ian Thomas shares and very few Joe New Smith. But I think those two, I value them very similarly. Looking at startups, Today, maybe I take Jonu. Tomorrow, I take Ian Thomas. But without a doubt, Jared Cook, Chris Hearn, and Dawson Knox, they're not on my radar looking at that range. So we hit on the quarterback situation. Christian McCaffrey and the impact of his contract situation and the looming possibility of a holdout. The young wide receivers, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, the waiting to break out tight end, Ian Thomas. So a lot covered here, guys. And I think we hit on most of the fantasy and especially dynasty implications that this new coaching staff. It's tough to say. We really don't know what this team is going to do from a scheme perspective. Does Joe Brady bring in the high percentage passes that he might have adopted from Sean Payton from his time in New Orleans? We don't know. A lot to digest here. A lot to pay attention to as the offseason progresses. A lot of dynasty implications with this Carolina team. We spent a ton of time on Carolina, but let's see. Let's see if we can match that here. We have a marathon episode, <laughs> and I'm glad we stuck to only two teams because I initially I wanted to talk about three teams. This would have been like a three-hour show. So, Dan, actually, no. I'm going to make you – oh, he turns his hat around and says America's team. Come on. <laughs> but I'm going to make you wait just a few minutes. Mitch. I want your thoughts here because I don't think that you believe that this Mike McCarthy hire was a good hire. The reason why I like the Panthers hire so much is because they're doing something different. And these retread coaches that get job and then 
they get fired and they sit out a year and then they get another job after that. I don't think Mike McCarthy's changed that much. We heard before he got hired that he's getting into analytics and he's hired a team to help with analytics. Then right after he gets hired, he starts talking about how running the ball really helps play action, which is the exact <laughs> opposite that we've heard about analytics. That's my main worry. I think that Jerry Jones kind of wants a coach like that. That's like Mike McCarthy. He doesn't want someone to come in and be some like a Jim Schwartz who's going to come in and try to run his own show. Jerry has to hire someone that's going to let Jerry be Jerry. And that's just my biggest worry about the hire. Now, so he's coming in, obviously, with his playbook and what he wants to do. We've heard that Kellen Moore is remaining as the team's offensive coordinator, and he's going to call the plays. Is there any, I don't even want to say concern, because obviously this team still produced fantasy assets in 2019. Do we think that we're going to see similar play calling to what we saw here in 2019? 57% pass to run ratio a little bit lower than what we saw in Carolina. Do you think this really has any real impact on these players as dynasty assets? I don't. Um, I'm sure we'll get into the, all the free agents that the Cowboys have because they do have a lot of them on the offensive side of the ball. But as far as Zeke and Dak, I'm still buying those guys and I'm not going to drop them down my rankings too much because Mike McCarthy does play faster. He does have, I think in 20, between 2014 and 2018, he had the highest the third highest no huddle rate in the league. Some of that could have been Rodgers because Rodgers can just do that. We don't know if Dak really can, but I think he'll bring that over and that will help out the fantasy assets as well. And I love how you talk about pace of play. The Cowboys were actually number two in terms of pace of play in 2019. But when you look at them, when they were up at least seven points, they dropped to 21st. So if it's a really positive game script and maybe they play a little bit faster as opposed to slowing it down, which we saw them do here in 2019 under, as Dan refers to him, as the Clapper. Dan, you're very close to this team, obviously. You follow them very closely. What are your overall thoughts on Mike McCarthy? And one, having him come in as the coach, but two, having Kellen Moore remain as the offensive coordinator. I like the hire and I like the decision, and, and I'll explain why in a moment. But I, I want to start with, I do agree with Mitch's point of Carolina being different. I mean, they are clearly thinking different you know when you look throughout the nfl you think these all these billionaire owners know what they're doing and we've seen a lot of mismanagement with a lot of nfl teams but this owner seems to get it and even if you watch the press conference for matt rule the press conference was di different you know i think even their marketing and you know branding departments you know they're they have rap music and high-tech videos and a fancy podium and they're just doing everything in, in, in a certain way and i think both dallas and carolina is more of an upscale they're they're trying to find an any way they can, whether it be with their facilities, their marketing, they make it attractive to come play for their organizations. And they both have a plan. And I think there is some misconceptions out there with Jerry Jones. I'm not defending him. And, you know, there are some things that I think he does get too involved. You know, post-game press conferences, he's too outspoken. During the week, he's telling you who's healthy and who's not. That, that should be left to the coach. So th that stuff bothers me. But I think when it comes to letting a coach, you know, run his team and, and player personnel, I think it's a misconception of Jerry being involved. It's a very family-owned business. You know, there's Stephen Jones, who's a CEO and executive vice president. But the hidden guy who's not even on their website, surprisingly, when I look today, is Will McClay. He's their VP of player personnel, director of player personnel. And he has... He's been the one that's been getting the Jalen Smiths and the Byron Jones and, you know, Dak and Zeke. He's been kind of the guy behind the scenes that they just won't let go. And he's done a great job of finding a lot of young talent. And right now, 
Dallas wants to win now. And I think bringing in a Mike McCarthy, who's Coach Favre, who's Coach Rogers, who's, you know, 10 and 8 in the playoffs in the Super Bowl, Dallas fans out there know it's been a long nine years under the clapper. So 10 and 8 in the playoffs in a Super Bowl would just be unbelievable. He's dominated the NFC North when he was in the division there with a 52 and 21 and one record, which is which is awesome. You know, you'd hope he can come in here and dominate the NFC East. He was seven and three versus Dallas, so he definitely had their number. And that wanting to win now is where I think Kellen Moore makes sense. You know, this offense, Dak had his best year yet. They fixed their red zone woes. So you keep that consistency, that playbook verbiage, and hopefully McCarthy can continue to mentor Kellen Moore. And I think maybe we just get a little bit more consistency out of this offense, especially the the pass game. Uh, you know, maybe Mari Cooper disappears a, a little bit less and, and has his best season yet. So I think there's still a little bit of margin to spike up for that offense. I like how you said they're looking at things from a win now perspective. And I'm not saying it's a good hire because, you know, time will tell. But I think it makes sense. You bring in an established coach, obviously a track record for he's won. He's won a Super Bowl. Whereas the Carolina Panthers, I think they're okay easing into things. And both teams, like you said, Dan, they know what they want to do. So the Panthers, they're okay easing into it if it takes a few years. Get everything established. You want to get that winning mentality established. The Cowboys, they want to win now. You, You can't continue down this path that they've been going down of mediocrity, eight and eight seasons, first round playoff losses, whatever the case may be. So from that perspective, I get the Mike McCarthy hire and it makes sense to keep Kellen Moore. You want to have some semblance of continuity. One thing that I read earlier today, and I hope this is true and it's not just coach speak, but Mike McCarthy came out and said, we're not going to throw these players and make them work in our scheme. It's going to be the other way around. I want my players, I, you know, and we're going to get a scheme that works for them as as opposed to, and you know, you hear people saying this, we don't want to fit a square peg in a round hole. Kind of a similar analogy there. You want to fit a scheme around the players you have. I think if that's the case, and time will tell, but I like the higher overall if that's going to be the case. So, so we'll see. Dak, guys, no contract. Didn't get anything done. What are your thoughts there, Mitch? Do we think he gets franchised? Do we think he gets an extension? Uh, you said you're still buying in Dynasty as well, right? Yeah, I think price dependent. Price dependent. Price dependent. <laughs> yeah, but there's this weird thing going around on Twitter about everyone saying they can't sign Dak and Amari Cooper, but the Cowboys are fine as far as salary cap goes. They don't have an issue, even if Prescott gets 35 million a year. They still have 46 million left over, and only seven million of that needs to go to the rookies. So they're completely fine when it comes to salary cap. So I don't see any reason why they won't sign both. Dallas, one thing about Jerry, too, is he does learn from some of his mistakes. They were in a bad salary cap situation years ago, so they've gotten really good at managing that cap. And I think, you know, bringing in McCarthy, it's just a matter of time before Dak has his press conference, JB. He's going to be signed. They're going to ink him. They're going to get Cooper. And I I think another plus for them fantasy-wise in watching their games last year is the game mismanagement. And this was one of my biggest issues with the Clapper. They had terrible field position. They had terrible special teams play. So if just clean up those those areas, I think you're putting this offense in a better position. And again, it goes back to that win now mentality. 
I like the way that Dak has progressed from a, you know, looking at it with my fantasy glasses on. He's had an increase in passing attempts every single year. The opportunity is there. If we expect things to stay somewhat similar, especially with Kellen Moore still calling the plays, I would be shocked to see that drop. And the opportunity is there. So I like Dak from a dynasty perspective. He's young. He's heading into his age 27 season, which is a lifetime to go for a quarterback. I do think as well that he gets this contract extension and what 4,900 yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 1.8% interception percentage. That's fantastic. You don't have to worry about this offensive line, whether it's a new coaching staff coming or not. They were fantastic. We talked about the pace of play. So all three of us, it sounds like we're on board with Dak and it's still somebody that we're looking to acquire. We don't think this hire in any way is really going to negatively impact. If anything, it could help him, but I don't think it's going to be worse than what we saw last year and in previous years with Jason Garrett. The one player I want to spend some time on is Ezekiel Elliott. You're already seeing the narratives that, well, Mike McCarthy, you saw what he did in 2017 and 2018 with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Aaron Jones has been growing on me. He's not Ezekiel Elliott. And this is the same thing that we talked about with Bevel when he went to Detroit. Oh, He hates to throw the ball. Yes, when you look at certain years, like when he had Marshawn Lynch, he didn't want to throw the ball. But then there was that three-year stretch that they threw the ball a lot. And Doug Baldwin, he was heavily involved in that offense. So that was one reason that people were knocking Kenny Galladay and Matthew Stafford last year. But I get sidetracked here a little bit. I'm talking about false narratives. You look at Mike McCarthy. My hands are moving here. They're going all over the place. You look at Mike McCarthy. They had years where they had workhorse-type backs. But then if you look at the running backs, Ty Montgomery, James Starks, some hodgepodge that was led by Alex Green, who honestly, I don't even remember who that is. Grant, Brandon Jackson, Amon Green, he was heavily involved back in the day. But you look at some of these backs, would you have relied on these guys as a workhorse? I wouldn't. And then you go even further back when he was with the Saints, Mike McCarthy, that is, Deuce McAllister and Ricky Williams. They were workhorses. So I don't think we should be writing off Ezekiel Elliott. If people are going to knock down his price, I'm going to start looking to buy. But also, he's 25 years old. Oh, he's ready to die. You better sell him now. He's going to drop off that cliff. And that's another, I I don't want to say narrative because we do see it all the time, but he doesn't have an injury history as well. So uh, guys, what, what do you think here? Take it off of me because I could go on this rant for a while. Yeah, Zeke, I mean, uh, 24 going to going to turn 25. Just separating Dallas from Carolina again, Mitch, as we talked about, like, I like where Carolina's going. I think if you project a few years down the road, they may pass Dallas as that, you know, young core develops and they build that organization up. But Dallas just has more depth. And that's really the biggest difference between them and Carolina. They have more depth on the O-line. They got more depth at wide receiver, uh, you know, even a little bit more on defense. So that's the biggest difference. And Zeke didn't get beat up last year. He just kept moving forward, plowing through. They used Pollard, you know, wisely in his rookie season and you know he might get a couple more touches next year but I think Zeke's in for another big year as long as Dallas you know maintains that O-line and they stay healthy. Dan what do you think real quick before we jump over to Mitch Dan what do you think about his usage in the passing game he was heavily involved in 2018 which is something we finally we were excited to see as a dynasty or just a fantasy owner in general 2019 it dipped a little bit do you think we see something somewhat similar to last year or do we see a rise does it decrease what do you think? That's a great question, John. Probably the million-dollar question and the one where I'm really hoping Coach McCarthy makes his biggest impact. For some reason last year, they you know, were more productive in the red zone because that was a huge issue two years ago. They used Zeke in the pass game, 
but not as much. The screen game seemed to decrease a little bit, and they loved running the ball on first down. So if McCarthy's really looking at those analytics like he said he was, hopefully they they dump off to Zeke a little bit more on first down, which is kind of the same as a run, and we see his numbers spike back to two years ago. But that's going to be up to Coach McCarthy, and I think that's what we'll be looking for. One reason I think that maybe we saw that decrease, they didn't have a tight end game in 2018. Jason Witten, he drew a good amount of targets here in 2019. So maybe that kind of ate into a little bit their offensive philosophy changed a little bit and they wanted to use the tight end more. Mitch, what are your thoughts with Zeke? Something I always try to keep in mind when it comes to running backs is their offensive line. And we know the Cowboys have a good offensive line and it's probably top 10, but we always want to have offensive lines that return a lot of pieces as well. And Dallas is returning every single person from their offensive line who played a significant amount of snaps this year. So I'm all aboard Zeke. I know a few weeks ago I said I would take Dalvin Cook over him, but you guys talked to me, Dan, you know, you showed me the error in my ways and he's definitely the back right behind Barkley and CMC. So he's right there for me. I don't blame anybody if they take Zeke over Barkley at this point too. Mitch, you already talked about that you would take him over Dalvin. You, We showed you the way. You corrected that error. You Are you going to take him over Alvin Kamara? Oh, yeah. Over Nick Chubb? Yes. Over Joe Mixon? Yes. And then I left off, and you already answered it, I left off CMC and Barkley. I didn't think you were taking him over them. No. Yeah, no. Okay. And Dan, Ezekiel Elliott or Dalvin Cook? I'm taking Zeke over everybody except for CMC. And and I'll, I'll turn the Barkley question over to you guys. If I'm looking at overall talent, I mean, Barkley's amazing, but... I have no faith in the Giants right now. I do like their head coach hire. He has some promise. But until they fix that O-line and, uh, you know, if Jason Garrett could show he is an offensive coordinator, I'm really not sure what Jason Garrett is, and I've got nine years of him. I still have concerns about that team. So I don't know if you guys collaborate where you take Barkley over Zeke. Is it just long-term talent, age? I'm actually okay with a coin flip there. And I I hate to give a cop-out answer here, but I'm okay with a coin flip. So I would not argue with somebody if they wanted to take Zeke over Barkley. And like we talked about the offensive line and just having more faith in this offense. But then you look at the ageists and you say he's 25. Maybe it's time to sell. You know what? Just because of perceived value. And I do think it's going to be close from a production standpoint. Give me Saquon Barkley. Yeah, and and I for, would for, say, for me, it's sorry, a perceived value. Just I think we are going to see Zeke starting to lose a little bit of that value just because, like I said, he's a senior citizen. He's about to be 25. And the only reason why I'd have Barkley over Zeke is because Zeke's knucklehead. He's done just not really bad stuff off the field, just stupid stuff off the field that you have to worry <laughs> about. And so far with Barkley, you haven't had anything pop up that we know of. Yeah, that's a good point. That's definitely something to think about. So, okay, so we're all taking Ezekiel Elliott over those four guys. And it's funny because Ezekiel Elliott, he has slipped a little bit. And I don't want to say that. So if the reason that you were selling Ezekiel Elliott before this hire was the fact that he's entering his age 25 season, sure, stick with it. If that's your running back philosophy, I'm not going to argue with you there. I will. We'll we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But (laughs) You shouldn't be selling him strictly because of this hire. And I've seen people say that. So if you wanted to sell him before, sure, stick with it. Stay down that path. But don't sell him just because, oh, well, this is what he did in 2017 and 2018. Don't look at that isolated sample just because it supports your narrative. I think that's bogus. And that's what I kind of talked about with Bevel going to 
the Lions. And Mitch, real quick before we go into the other players here, you you don't like that sell at twenty five narrative. I no. Someone had a tweet this week, and I wish I would have saved it. But it had stats of like the top twelve fantasy running back seasons, and half of them were by running backs that were twenty seven and twenty eight and twenty nine. I think Ladainley Thompson had a few of those later in his career. Talent matters, and a lot of this to where we have these awesome advanced stats. They count all the running backs. And a lot of running backs just don't last, but some really, really good running backs will last. And we need to be able to adjust for the outliers more so than just saying, oh, well, he's 25. So I'm just going to trade Ezekiel Elliott now. I just think it's a really bad philosophy to go by. I think a lot of it is just living in fear a little bit because you know that the cliff is going to happen. And I, I hear people say all the time, I'd rather be a year early than a year late. And yeah, that's true. But you could talk about that with quarterbacks and wide receivers. And yeah, the shelf life for running backs is shorter. But also, I like to win. I like to win my my dynasty leagues, my fantasy leagues. I, I like to win money. And Ezekiel Elliott's still a player that's going to help you do that. So my whole spiel here was because I thought about while you guys were talking, I thought about the fact that I said you shouldn't sell him. But if you were selling him before, but it shouldn't be because of this coaching hire, like I said. Just too early to talk about the cliff with him, JB. I think, you know, when he gets to that 28 range and he starts pushing 30, then we pick up the conversation. I think the worry at that time for people is, can you move him for solid value at that age? But you also got production from him for the next three seasons after this year. So it's like future value versus production that you can expect. There's definitely a trade-off there. And that would actually be a really interesting concept for a show that I think we should dive into and talk about how do you weigh production versus the value you could get return on a player. I think that'd be interesting. Really quick, Tony Pollard. We saw some explosive plays from him throughout 2019. Let's just go through the rapid fire here, guys. Dan, Damien Williams. Will you take Tony Pollard over him? Yes. Tony Pollard or Royce Freeman? Pollard. Pollard or Cohen? Pollard. Pollard or Penny? Pollard. Pollard or Duke Johnson? I'll go Duke. Okay. And the reason for that, guys, is you know, if it, I, all, I take all those other guys before Pollard in theory, but if Zeke goes down, Pollard's a league winner. I don't think any of those other guys are a league winner. Completely agree. He would be a league winner if Zeke goes down, especially I mean, we saw flashes, obviously, throughout the season. We saw what he did in the preseason, which is different than the regular season, obviously. But Mitch, do you want me to run through those players again or are you going to give a blank? You got to go through the first one real quick. Got to go through the first one. Damien Williams. Damien Williams. 2020 league winner, Damian <laughs> Williams. It's going to happen. <laughs> I, I might get on the train again, depending on what they do in the draft. But I can tell you, I will not be as vocal on Twitter about Damian Williams this offseason. Great thing is we don't have to go out and buy him because I own him on every team. And if I don't, you do. I'm set for next year. <laughs> I just don't need to trade him. Right. He has put you guys through a lot. I think of Damian, Will Damian Williams. You guys instantly popped to mind. Tony Pollard or Royce Freeman? Pollard. Pollard or Cohen? Pollard. Pollard or Penny? Pollard only because Penny got hurt. Pollard or Duke Johnson? Pollard. I will take Duke Johnson over Tony Pollard. And it's actually it's funny because Duke Johnson, he's going latest in startups out of all these guys. So I'll take Duke Johnson. How does Mitch not take Duke Johnson after all those number one draft picks he gave up for him? Please. Because I was wrong. <laughs> in a There's co 
in a co-owned league, he made me give up a 2021st. And oh my God, I still. I think it happened in two leagues, to be honest. <laughs> okay, well, now you're making it even worse. Anyway, <laughs> it was bad. It was yeah, bad. I know. I try to talk you out of it, but I, we, we give and take a little bit for our co-owned situation. So I will take Duke Johnson over Tony Pollard. I will take Tony Pollard over Royce Freeman and Tariq Cohen. Oh, the, the draft capital is getting me caught up here with Rashad Penny, that first round draft capital. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm torn. I, I'll take Rashad Penny, and then I will take – I'm, I'm going to stick around for the Damian Williams show for a little bit longer. So I'm taking Tony Pollard over Freeman and Cohen. I'm taking Duke, Rashad, and Damian over Tony Pollard. Anything you guys want to talk about here with Tony Pollard? Do we think his role increases here? Not enough for fantasy. Okay, so he's he's yeah, strictly a dynasty stash for you guys. Yep. Okay. I'm not going to look out to go out and buy him, but if he's on my team, I'm happy with it. He's a must handcuff. If you have Zeke, you have to have Pollard because he could be a, a difference maker. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Dynasty stash, good handcuff. Let's talk about the wide receivers. We kind of touched on them, obviously, when we talked about Dak. Amari Cooper. It's, it's nice because we always we talk about these players throughout the offseason. We've touched on Amari Cooper already this year. You're not a huge fan. It's the inconsistencies that concerns you. Yeah, he has the talent, and I want him on. If I'm Jerry Jones, I want Amari Cooper on my team because of what he makes defenses do. But as far as owning him on my dynasty teams, I'm just hesitant at his price right now. Do you think personally he gets the contract? Do you I think do. he stays in Dallas? Yeah, I, I don't see Jerry trading for someone and then just letting him walk a year and a half later. It just doesn't make any sense to give up the draft capital they did to get Amari. Yeah, what a first round pick for a year and a half rental. That's that's pretty steep. So I do think that they get something done with Cooper and Dak. Dan, we all know that you love Amari Cooper, and I'm assuming. So let's the rapid fire. Would you take him over Odell Beckham? Yes. Beckham's a head case. Keep me to, nothing to do with Beckham in any of my rosters. So much dysfunction. Too much <laughs> dysfunction. dysfunction. You're getting it now. You, you got it. Amari Cooper or Juju? Amari. AJ Brown? Amari. Stefan Diggs? Amari. Mitch? Odell Beckham? Um, Amari. Juju? Juju. AJ Brown? Amari. Diggs? Amari. And these are guys that are going around him in startups. He's actually slipped a little bit. So he it's crazy because we talk about dynasty and it's such a long term thing. But when we looked at Amari Cooper, that sh little stretch he had in 2019 where he just went off, people had him as a top three or four dynasty wide receiver. And now he's back there around dynasty wide receiver 10. We are so fickle as a dynasty community. You have one bad game. Oh, you're dropping 30 spots down my rankings, even though it's dynasty, you know, and, and everybody does it to an extent, whether or not you want to admit it, there's always a little bit of recency bias. I'll add to that, John, just with Amari Cooper. I mean, yeah, you guys know I love him, but with him, I don't have the same conviction I do with Dak or Zeke. You know, Mitch is in my head here a little bit. You know, there's a little bit of a buyer's beware. You know, I definitely see the upside and, and I think my love and yeah, this is probably the, the part where I could just honestly admit I'm being a Cowboys homer with Amari Cooper. It's what you hope to have in a number one receiver. I mean, you do get those big splash games that as a fan are just incredible to watch. So you know what he could be. But, you know, you, you do see these little lingering injuries. You do see him disappear at certain times. You know, he's a very quiet guy. He took himself out of some plays this season. Uh, you know, so there are those little warning signs that I, I don't want to be blind to as a Cowboys fan. So I do say buyer beware with him. Yes, I like him before the, a lot of those guys you named, too, because they have their own little red flags. You know, Juju's coming off an injury. It was his first year as a number one wide receiver. You know, Diggs is disappears at times also with Thielen and you know the Vikings offense is a little more of a run first so a lot of it's situational too compared to the guys you named 
And you talked about you don't have the same conviction as you do with Zeke or Dak. They're both going as top five players in their position in startup. Most of the time with Dak, but always with Zeke. Amari Cooper, he's not a top five dynasty value right now. So you're able to get him a little bit later. But when you talk about inconsistency, Diggs, A.J. Brown, Juju, Odell, they're not exactly the poster child for consistency. Yes, it's buyer beware. But once you get into that range, and Mitch, you brought this up on last week's show, which I think was a great point. You could probably lump in 15 wide receivers and arrange them any which way you want. And I really wouldn't bat an eye. You know, I think there's very low. uh, There's a very small difference in overall value for them. Yeah, fantasy points per week wise, we're going to see like a one point difference between those 15 guys. There's just not enough. So if there's a guy that you want to go out there and get, you know, don't let us tell you not to go get him. I think it's all personal preference for that range. And just like you said, maybe there's a one point or two point difference between wide receivers. That's why I like the Gallops, Boyd, Ridley. You can get them in that wide receiver 20 range oftentimes in startups. Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk. He's in that range too. And actually, I think he's going after still the three guys I just mentioned. You know, it seems like he had that hype and that's coming down a little bit, but we digress here. Obviously, I love talking about yards per route run. Amari Cooper, he was 10th last year, 2.6. Only 119 targets. Not the huge target share that we see from a Michael Thomas or DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams, but still, you know, pretty solid. Michael Gallup, what are you guys' thoughts here? I think he's screaming by, especially even if there's a small chance that Amari Cooper's gone. You know, it's it's similar to Carolina. You know, Carolina, those, you know, Moore and Samuel, 22 and 23 years old. Cooper and Gallup, 25 and 23. They're just great dynasty ages. Gallup, he's... I guess my only concern is how high is his ceiling? You know, I, I think he's one of the better number two receivers. I think he's a great kid. Like, I mean, he is passionate. He works hard. Even when Cooper came on last year, him and Dak had some really good chemistry. But he has those little spells where he, he has the drops every once in a while. So I just don't know how high that ceiling is. I definitely do think he's a buy. I'm not arguing with you there, John. But i uh, be looking for your uh, comparisons in a little while here to see who we have a, a choice of who we're taking him over or not. And just like Mitch said about a, another player that we talked about earlier, he's a buy from a current startup perspective. It's going to be difficult to pry him off the hands of an owner in an existing league, as with many players. You know, we talked about Ian Thomas. It's tough to get guys whenever we're so passionate about these players as a prospect or a dynasty asset. It's difficult to get them at a solid value. Before we get into the rapid fire, entering his age 24 season, not a UFA until 2021, so we have some time, or until after 2021, he's an unrestricted free agent. 2.44 yards per route run, that's 15th. A lot of drops, guys. He had 11. You know, and we talk about drops, that's normally Amari Cooper's forte. So hopefully that changes moving forward. There is a big potential for positive touchdown regression. Three touchdowns on over a 1,000 receiving yards. And I think a lot of that, we can chalk it up to only one red zone touchdown. He wasn't really utilized in the red zone. Like you said, Dan, they were a lot more productive and efficient. And Zeke really was the main beneficiary there. Dallas spreads the ball a lot more, too, than like Carolina. They do. Carolina right now, the way their offense is built, it's Samuel Moore, CMC. With Dallas, they have no problem going to Cobb, Austin, Witt, and Jarwin. So they they snake a couple touchdowns here and there, which might cap Gallup's upside a little bit in the touchdown category. Yeah, Mitch, before we get over to you, we saw 
113 targets for Michael Gallup, 119 for Amari Cooper, and obviously that 113 for Michael Gallup, he missed two games. That skewed a little bit. Probably would have out-targeted Amari Cooper. 83 for Randall Cobb, over 70 for Ezekiel Elliott. We saw the tight ends get involved. So like you said, they are spreading the ball around a lot, but... With Mike McCarthy, we saw the way he's been able to utilize his top pass catchers, whether it's uh, Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb in the past. I love that narrative coming out. But I do think we could see an improvement and maybe we see a little more go through his top pass catchers like we've seen in the past. So maybe it is more of an opportunity for Gallup and or Amari Cooper. Mitch, what are your thoughts here on Michael Gallup? Um, it might hurt the rapid fire segment a little bit, but my biggest issue with him, he is just my least favorite wide receiver. You know, big name wide receiver to come out of that 2018 class. I have him lower than Moore, Ridley, just any of those guys. I have him lower than them and lower than most of the 2019 guys as well. I agree with you on the 2018. I have him lower than Calvin Ridley and certainly DJ Moore, but I, well, let's get into it. Michael Gallup or Adam Thielen? Thielen. Michael Gallup or Tyler Boyd? Boyd. Michael Gallup or Terry McLaurin? McLaurin. Michael Gallup or Nikhil Harry? Harry. God, why do you hate Michael Gallup so much? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm going to take him over Thielen and Harry and McLaurin, actually. I'm, I go Boyd and then Gallup and then the rest. Dan, what are your thoughts here? Michael Gallup or Adam Thielen? Thielen by hair. Tyler Boyd? Tyler Boyd. You sound so defeated. When you have to pick <laughs> this is hard. This is hard. Over a cowboy. That's what we're talking about. This range of wide receivers. It could go any which way. Terry McLaurin. Definitely McLaurin. I like that kid. Nikhil Harry. Gallup. Okay. And I like this one because we all had different opinions here. We all obviously value Michael Gallup a little bit differently. And I think this is where the opportunity presents itself to buy him in a startup because he is slipping. He's not a team's wide receiver one, but we see the upside. So guys, Randall Cobb, he's free 99 startups right now. Like him, hate him, don't care. What do you think? I like him as a bench stash. If Gallup or Cooper went out, you know, he's like a matchup specific guy, you know, he's, he's, he's just a bench stash late on late in the draft. Yeah. He's like Danny Amendola. You're okay having him on your team, but if he's on someone else's, I'm not going to be like, you know, I need to go get Randall Cobb this week. It's just nothing that's ever going to happen. He's somebody that I'm okay taking late in a startup. And we look at the guys he's going around. Dan, would you take Randall Cobb or Jalen Hurd? Cobb. Josh Reynolds. Cobb. Deshaun Jackson. Jackson. Devin Funchess. Cobb. All right, Mitch, Randall Cobb or Jalen Hurd? Hurd. Reynolds? Reynolds. Jackson? Cobb. Funchess? Cobb. I'll take Cobb over all of them. And I some bad players, JB. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But that's where he's going. I said free 99, guys. He's dirt cheap. But he saw 83 targets last year. And now, let's, you know, that Mike McCarthy reunion narrative, a feel-good story, best friends coming together again. You know, maybe there is, he doesn't have that upside that he had in the past. But if he can give you 80 targets for where he's going, whether it's a deeper league or he's a bi-week fill-in or you have injuries throughout the season, He's somebody that I want on my roster. It, it's like you said, Mitch, he's like a, who was the player you said? Danny Amendola. Yeah. But they do need to sign Randall Cobb first because he is a free agent. Yeah. Oh, very good point. But you said they have they have billions and billions of They'll dollars at their disposal. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dan, Danny Amendola, Cole Beasley, these undesirable exactly. older receivers that are useful, especially in deeper leagues. We're talking about 14, 16 team leagues and Bye week fill-ins back to a young tight end Blake Jarwin do you guys 
I think he's a buy. Same with Ian Thomas. You have an older tight end, Blake Jarwin, waiting in the wings here. I like the kid. Yeah, guys, I've enjoyed watching Jarwin the last few years, probably the same way you guys have been eyeing up Ian Thomas. I was a little upset today. He went in our dynasty draft before I could get him. He's the guy that gets the yards after the catch, and this is another area where I hope, you know, I'm really here, you know, saying my prayers at night that Jason Witten returns for one more year, and that's the homer fan in me. Witten's great at those just-move-the-chains catches, but there were times where Witten should have been on the bench, and they should have had Jarwin in there, those third and longs. He's just an athletic tight end that gets, you know, good yards after the catch. He's a, he's a fan sleeper so I say if you have an opportunity to draft to get him and Witten does retire you might have a potential steal there I remember there were games he might have had one target for one catch but it was like 43 yards or something and it's like get this kid on the field but again Jason Witten these old guys they just won't go away Jason Witten tried but the booth kicked him back out Uh, (laughs) Mitch what are your thoughts on Jarwin overall I like Jarwin he's an RFA so he should be back next year but I think you should go out and get Dalton Schultz at this point too he's free in drafts. I don't even know if you have to draft him. You could probably just go all the way through your startup and then pick him up on your first free agent round. But I would definitely get both of them at this point and just see who ends up being the starter when the season starts. I'll segue in there. Now, I like your deep, deep dive there on Dalton Schultz. He's more of a blocking tight end, though, so I don't know where he's going to come in fantasy. He will not beat out Jarwin. Um, he'll play. You know, Cowboys use those two tight end sets, or we'll see what McCarthy does, obviously. But, you know, I think with, like, with Witten and Olsen, with these teams, loses a blocking tight end. And when you want to go those two tight ends, so if Witten and Olsen retires... Who else there's going to be in Carolina with Ian Thomas? And Schultz would be the number two. He, he is a decent blocker, but I don't know how fantasy relevant he'd be, Mitch. Are you guys ready for who could be in Carolina? Maybe with Ian Thomas or in Dallas or anywhere? Maybe Austin Hooper, Austin guys. Hooper. Austin Hooper. I knew it was going to <laughs> Or, and we've talked about this, if he could stay healthy, Jordan Reed is a free agent. Wouldn't it be something for him to go somewhere else and just go nuts? He'd have to stay healthy, of course, but. I could see Dallas really being a team that goes out and gets one of the three H's, as I call them. Either Hunter, Hooper, or O.J. Howard. I could see them flipping a trade for O.J. Howard as well. Teasing me, Mitch. Stop it. You're getting Dan all hot bothered I haven't there. thought of this, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so rapid fire, guys. Let's wrap up the show. Blake Jarwin, and we'll start with you, Mitch. Blake Jarwin or Sternberger? Um, Sternberger, I guess. <laughs> you sound, there's no conviction in your voice. No, there. not at all. Jarwin or Doyle? Doyle. Jarwin or Hollister? Hollister. Jarwin or Ebron? Ebron. Jarwin or Hurst? Uh, Jarwin. All right, and then Dan, what are your thoughts here? Blake Jarwin or Jay Sternberger? I'll save you the time here. Ebron, it depends on where he goes. You know, I may take Ebron over to Jarwin, but I would take Jarwin over all those guys just on the upside. You know, if Witten retires, I know he's going to be a pass-catching tight end that's going to put up stats. I don't know if Green Bay will utilize Sternberger. I do like his potential. Doyle is just not going to get the yards off the catch. He'll be a PPR machine, so, I mean, I'm not arguing with the pick, but I'll, I'll take those 40-yard touchdowns, those breakout games that you might get a, on occasion at Jarwin that could be weak winners. So I'd take Jarwin just based on potential. I will take Blake Jarwin over all of them in PPR if it's one of those leagues that we play and that's two PPR for tight ends I like Jack Doyle in that format and you know they just signed him to the three-year extension Ebron's gonna be out of there hopefully they get some more stability Brissett is he the answer quarterback we don't know we'll dive into that later this offseason but I like Blake Jarwin over everybody in typical PPR guys we try to keep this 30, 40 minutes long. And I, I even told my wife, oh, honey, don't worry. I'll be back. It's going to be a short show. I look at the clock. We A ton of information, but this flew by. 
Great show. You know, sorry to keep you from The Bachelor, though, John. Okay, listen. Yeah, we'll let you get back to it. We could skip over, you know, our final thoughts so you could get back to The Bachelor real quick and we could just wrap it up so we could get out of here. <laughs> okay, I don't watch The Bachelor, but if I did, I think it ended at 10 Eastern time. So it's already over, guys. Tivo. <laughs> I'm sure it's on tape for you. I hate both of you. Anyway. Final thoughts for our listeners. We're getting back to it on a regular basis. Mitch, what do you have? It's the best time of year. DFS is over, so I don't have to worry about that losing money every single week of that nonsense anymore. But one thing I was going to say is just go on overthecap.com is the main one that I use, but go in and start looking at who's going to be free agents, the salary cap of each team, how much they need to put away for rookie pools and all that stuff because that stuff makes a big deal this time of year. For instance, I didn't realize Marvin Jones can easily be a huge cap casualty this offseason. And I was previously drafting him thinking, oh, you know, Matt Stafford loves him. So if that's his number two, I'm completely okay drafting him there. But he might not even be on the lines next year at this point. So it's just something to keep in mind. Go in there, look at the contracts and look at salary cap and make sure the players you're going out to acquire will actually be on that team the fall, you know, in 2020. I love that. Over the cap's always my preference. I, what's the other one? Spot track? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've gone on there a few times, but over the cap definitely is my preference. Like you said, look at the contracts, but that dead cap information, extremely useful. You look at cap casualties. Sometimes you start overthinking it and overanalyzing it. So it could backfire at times because we think it's going to go one way and it doesn't. But absolutely fantastic resource in Dynasty. Stay ahead of those contract situations. Dan, over to you. Final thoughts for our listeners. All right, guys, closing thoughts. You know, I like that uh, over the cap take by Mitch. I'll check that out tonight. But I've been looking at our boy Jordan Lindsay on Twitter, his content there with his dynasty heat maps for a lot of those salary cap hits. But even here in the closing thoughts, I'm arguing with Mitch here. Mitch, DFS season is not over yet. We still have the Pro Bowl Sunday at three and then uh, the Super Bowl. (laughs) They kind of merge both of those games. Are you doing the DFS Pro Bowl? I never quit, John. Never oh. quit. <laughs> There's an edge to have in the Pro Bowl. Good luck, so, man. I, I'm not partaking in that, but I would, I'm would. i going to have to get your lineup there so I can at least, you know, maybe I'll watch it and cheer for your guys. We'll talk a little bit come Sunday. And uh, my last closing thought, though, is we partake in a dynasty draft now, and we had our show tonight. I am really excited to see where the quarterbacks go this offseason. Between Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Andy Dalton, Cam Newton, all these rookies, it's going to be really interesting to see where these guys land. So many moving pieces. I'm sure, you know, it's always been crazy like this, but it feels like so many quarterbacks could potentially move. So many new head coaches, offensive coordinators are getting fired left and right. A lot to analyze this offseason. This is going to be the first of several shows in a series where we're going to talk about coaching changes and the impact it has from a dynasty perspective and the short and long-term value. So, you know, we look forward to diving into it. Several weeks here, we're going to talk about it. Mitch, Dan, as always, thank you for joining me. And long show. We promise in the future we'll try to cut it down. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Superflexology Fantasy Football Show. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Superflexology. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page, the Superflexology Fantasy Football Show. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to the Superflexology Podcast. If you want the latest news in fantasy football, follow us on Twitter at Superflexology, The Bauer Club, and Dino MC. 